0: Prayer earlier, I want to talk to you about religion. Uh, some of you might say, duh, isn't that why we're here? We're in a church, kind of, we talk about religion. Uh, not so much. I, I, uh, sometimes, whenever we talk about religion, when I use the word religion, uh, sometimes I do use it in a positive way. Uh, but there are also, majority of the time, whenever I use the word religion, especially in and uh, throughout this sermon, I'm going to use it in a not so positive way. I want to talk to you about religion as that which inhibits us from knowing Jesus, not something that helps us to know Jesus, but something that inhibits us from having a true relationship with Christ. And when you really think about it, religion is everywhere. Find a map, think about a time period, Put your finger down on that map of any time period, any place, and, and and you will find a people who have some type of dominant religion. Religion has always been a part of humankind, always been a part of just kind of who, who, who we are. And when you think about it, when we talk about religion, we don't have to necessarily talk about the Christian religion. There are all types of religion. So uh, I, I pulled off uh, of the internet a couple of uh, a couple of uh, a few definitions of what religion is is and one definition I saw that said it's just a a system of faith and worship well really by that definition you could have pagans uh, uh, uh pagan religion idolatry could be religion but this second one how about this a pursuit or interest of that which someone ascribes supreme authority well by that definition Politics or sports or hobbies or recreation could be a religion. This third one kind of gets more in line with what we think about as religion, but I want to suggest to you today that religion is one of the primary opponents that we see to the gospel in scripture, in Jesus' ministry, and all throughout history since that time. I mean, we're, and we're going to look at Acts 6 this morning, excuse me, Luke 6 this morning. You can go ahead to open your Bibles there, but in Jesus' ministry, we have all these people who were religious in nature that were opposed to Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead and he gave his apostles the ministry of spreading the gospel through the known globe, it's the religious people that were always in opposition. Sometimes those were Jewish people, sometimes those were Christian people with bad beliefs, and sometimes those those were people who had a, a, a religion that wasn't Christian at all. Um, If we even look at other countries today, there's religion everywhere, everywhere. And one of the main reasons that people don't want to receive Christ is that they don't want to turn away from their religion. And so I want to give you a definition of religion that I think that we need to be careful of even within Christianity. And here it is heartless rituals and routines and patterns of behavior accompanied by legalistic commands and stale doctrine. How how many of you are interested in that type of religion? Anybody here today say, oh yeah, that's why I came to church. I showed up so that I could go through a heartless ritual and routine so that I could be taught legalistic commands and just stale doctrine that really is in my head but really just means nothing to my heart. None of us would say that that's the type of religion that we're looking for, but if we're not careful, that will be the pattern that we get sucked into this pattern Pattern of religion, this pattern of behavior and teaching and doctrine, singing, listening to preaching, Bible study, that just becomes heartless and it becomes. Passionless, And it doesn't matter if you're Catholic, it doesn't matter if you're Protestant, it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, pagan, it doesn't matter. This type of religion can creep in and can keep us from knowing Jesus as Savior. We see it as a pattern in Scripture. We see it as a pattern all, um, all throughout history. And so today, I want to talk to you about how to combat a religious spirit. In fact, that's the that's the title of my message, a religious spirit from Luke chapter 6. Cuz we're going to look at a pattern of behavior from some guys in scripture who exhibited a religious spirit. By that I don't mean like they had a demon, like there was some type of demon, a demon spirit that was a religious spirit inside of them. What I mean is that their general attitude, their demeanor and just the way that they operated uh, just had they had a spirit about them that was more religious. And, a, and then it was spiritual. And here's, here's what I mean by a, a religious spirit, just so, uh, just so I can define it for you. What I mean by that is a hard hearted adherence to rules and rituals and doctrines with no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit or a soft heartedness towards others who are not like us. How many of you would say, that's the type of person that I want to become? How many of you would say, hey, you know what? Find me a church full of people that are like that. Uh, None of us. None of us are looking for religion as I've defined it. None of us want to have a religious spirit about us, but if we're not careful, every single one of us can get drawn in and can get sucked into just these hard-hearted, you know, rules and rituals and doctrines, losing all sensitivity to God and what he wants to do in our midst and disliking anybody that's not like us. The best example that I can give you of that type of person are the opponents of Jesus that we read about. All throughout the New Testament, uh, but we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter six today, and we're going to see these guys, these these Pharisees and these scribes, that no teaching, no miracle, not even the presence of the Son of God could get through to them because they had such a religious spirit about them. They they it's it's an interesting thing is that 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 people with a religious spirit, they don't really see the truth. Of the gospel, all they see are the doctrines and the moral commands associated with the gospel, but not really the truth of the gospel itself. Let's stand and look at Luke chapter six. We're going to stand and, and, and read this: Luke chapter six, verse six through eleven. And I want you to pay careful attention to these religious guys, to what to the question that Jesus asked them and then just to kind of their response. There's going to be a miracle that we're going to read where Jesus heals someone. I don't want you to pay as much attention to the miracle as much as you do for these these religious guys that were standing around watching. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they're the focus of this text, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him but he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with a withered hand come and stand here then he rose and stand there stood there and jesus said to them meaning the scribes and the Pharisees jesus said to them i ask you is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around to them at all, he said to him, meaning the man with the withered hand, he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they, meaning the scribes and the Pharisees, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Father, today, I pray, God, that you would help us to find a relationship with you that is free from religion. Lord, we don't want to become captivated in some heartless ritual and routine to where we miss you in our midst. Lord, I I pray that you would bless your people. Bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, You can be seated. So, obviously, this story involves a miracle. A great miracle, by the way. Uh, you had this man with a withered hand. He shows up to church. He shows up to the synagogue. And uh, he's, he's got this physical ailment. Doesn't tell us how it happened, whether it was nerve damage or an injury. We don't know. Not really the point of the story. We just know that it was withered and he couldn't really use it that well. Nobody probably noticed him. He probably didn't show up thinking that he was going to ask Jesus for healing. But Jesus noticed him. And he put him kind of in an awkward position, if you think about him. Uh, he, he, He noticed him, and he brought the guy, let's just say we brought him up on stage. He probably didn't have a stage. He brought him up on the platform, and he put him in front of everybody, this guy with a withered hand. And he looked at him, and he said, okay, now stretch out your hand. Now, how many times had that guy tried to stretch out that hand and he couldn't do it? So he asked this person in front of everyone to do something that he was basically incapable of doing. And, of course, Jesus healed him. Great miracle, wonderful miracle that we could learn a lot from. Great display of Jesus' compassion. But the focus of this text, interestingly enough, is not on the man with the withered hand and not on the healing that he received. The focus of this text is on these uppity religious guys. And they're named, they're named in text. Well, I'm, I'm just going to call them the religious leaders. But they're named in the text as the scribes and the Pharisees. And there, was, there was another group that were called the Sadducees. We won't really get into them. They kind of all run together. These were the, the the focus was on them. There was a problem with these people. There was a healing that needed to happen in them that they they basically were resistant to, and the healing that needed to happen in them is they had a religious spirit about them, and nothing that Jesus said, nothing that Jesus did, not even the presence of of the incarnate Son of God mattered. They had a barrier. They were not going to have faith, and it was because of their religion. And so we ask ourselves, well, who are these who are these religious guys whose religion got in the way of them knowing Jesus and actually, on the basis of their religion, caused them to persecute Jesus, question Jesus, and ultimately have him killed, turn him over to the Roman authorities? Well, first of all, the scribes. Uh, the scribes, these are people who they were well-studied in the Old Testament law. Uh, they transcribed it. You know, you can go down to the bookstore, you can go down to Walmart, and you can buy a copy of the Bible. Back then, that wasn't the case. They didn't have a printing press. Uh, they didn't have a Xerox machine. They couldn't just run you copies. They couldn't print it for you. If you were going to transcribe, and think about how much of the Old Testament there was, if you were going to, if you were going to get a copy of that, it had to be handwritten, and it had to be handwritten very, very carefully. And that's what they did. Uh, they studied the Old Testament law. They transcribed it. They even gave a, gave a, wrote commentaries. They were the official interpreters of the Old Testament law. This is why in, in some of your translations they're called lawyers. Uh, they they functioned in the same way that that what we would call civil and criminal lawyers function. In that, if we need a lawyer, I mean, just go try to read the law. Okay, you got you got to have a lawyer just to interpret it for you. Go read some Tennessee Code Annotated or whatever they call it, man. You you got you got to call somebody to interpret that thing for you. It's hard to understand. Uh, well, these guys they did the same thing, except they did it with the Old Testament religious law, and of course there were civil laws in there as well. Um, so they were the experts in the law, and sometimes they're called that also in, in Scripture. And then there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees they were more like a political religious set. Um I don't have time to really explain a, a lot of this, but there was no separation between church and state back then. To hold a religious position was to hold a political position. To hold a political position was, in essence, to hold a religious position. And so they were a religious political group. They had certain doctrines that they believed. They taught the people, but they weren't very good shepherds. My whole, my, my whole point about pointing out who these people were is that they knew what the Bible says, they knew what the Bible said. They were filled with knowledge about God, but they didn't really know God. They didn't recognize God when he appeared to them in the form of Jesus. And they knew the Scripture so well, but they lacked the character of God that was actually displayed in Scripture. Uh, they, were, they, had a, they had an external morality about them. But they they, they truly were not godly. And this is because they had a religious spirit about them. This was their fundamental sin. Their fundamental sin was they were so spiritually corrupt, they were religiously corrupt, because they had this religious spirit about them. And so I want to give you three characteristics of a person with a religious spirit. And there's more that we can learn from these guys. And look, we don't want to show up all the time and study the scribes and Pharisees, but there's a lot in Scripture that tells us about the scribes and Pharisees. And basically, it's in there because we want to be opposite of them. But there's three characteristics of people with a religious spirit. And I have to tell you, if I go through all three of these and you're a person that claims to be a Christian and you come to church a lot and you have normal root spiritual routines, and if I point these three things out and you would say, ah, none of that applies to me, that's proof that you probably have a religious spirit about you. In fact, I feel a little bit awkward as the religious guy— you know, I'm the one that's well-studied. Well, I say well-studied, I don't mean I'm smart. I'm the one that's been to seminary and studied and is the teacher. If there's anyone that is in, in the room that's in a position like they were in, it would be me. And in fact, I, I really, as, as I studied through some of this and I prepared this message, I'm like, yep, I can see where I've done that. Yep, I can see where I've been like that. And we all have to recognize that we have to be very careful The more we get involved in in religion, in church, in spiritual things, we've got to be very careful that we don't begin to take upon a religious spirit uh, much like these guys had. So let's, let's look at them and let's see what we can learn. And I hope that as you see some of these things in you, you can identify them and begin to repent and turn from them. But the first thing that we see in someone with a religious spirit is they choose accusation over encouragement. People with a religious spirit, they love to accuse. They want to find something wrong from you. In fact, they look for it. They look for something that is flawed in you so that they can accuse you. That's what these scribes and Pharisees and all their religious leaders did with Jesus. The Bible says they watched him. They just watched him. And I can, I can just see their little narrow gaze. You know, I can see them with, you know, kind of arms crossed. You know, kind of, you know, maybe laid back, turned to the side. You know, maybe not looking at him all the time, but, you know, they kind of, kind of, you know, stalking around him among the people, you know, as he's teaching. You know, they just, they're just kind of, they watched him. And what were they watching for? They were watching for anything that he might say that would be wrong, anything that he would do that might not be accurate, any kind of behavior that didn't line up so they could say, aha, gotcha. I, I see what you did. That's what people with a religious spirit do. Maybe not to that extreme, but that, that attitude of looking for a problem, looking for a flaw, looking for something wrong with you so that they can accuse. Interestingly enough, and this is how Satan works, if you really think about it. This, 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 is, how, this is how the enemy, Satan, this is, this is what he does. He is looking for anything wrong in you so that other people can see it. He wants you to feel accused. He wants you to feel guilty. You know, there's a difference between being convicted, truly sorry over your sin, and feeling all this guilt and accusation and weight on you. Satan wants to pile it on top of you. He wants wants to point out your flaws, and he wants to accuse you. The interesting thing about that I hear sometimes and I've heard sometimes in churches and among Christians is um, uh, to justify this is people with a religious spirit, they some, some, sometimes try to camouflage their watching and their accusation and accusing. They, they, they sometimes try to camouflage it as discernment. You ever heard that? You ever heard someone say, I have the gift of discernment? Now, look, I do think there's a legitimate gift of discernment, but your critical spirit is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, your ability to point out flaws in other people, oh, yeah, I see the problem with that part, that is, that is not a spiritual gift. That is a sin of having a critical spirit. And uh, un- unless, unless you have the ability to see something in someone that's not accurate, and then there is this impulse inside of you to have compassion and to want to pour yourself out and give yourself to that person who is sinful so that you might help them. You see, that's, that's what Jesus did on the cross. You see, Jesus is an expert at seeing everyone sin. But he doesn't, he doesn't watch you so that he can accuse you. That would be pretty easy for him, actually. When Jesus sees your sin, his impulse, when God looked down upon us in our sin, he, his impulse was to come and die on the cross for us, was to pour himself out for us to help us. Now, that's encouraging. To think about if someone sees my flaws, that that draws them to me so that they might help me, so that they might encourage me, so that they might help me find purity and cleansing. There's a big-time difference in that and wanting to accuse and and hurts and hurt someone. You see, the people with a religious spirit, when they want to accuse, what happens is it, it's a relational flaw. It keeps them from experiencing true fellowship with God's people. It's a barrier between them and God's people because all of God's people have sin. And if, if, they, have, if they have that accusatory spirit, they're never going to give themselves over to people so that they can help them and minister to them. So they never, th- th- this relational flaw, it, it keeps them from having true fellowship with God's people and it keeps them from being a witness to people who don't know God and have all types of flaws. Um, And also notice that these people never can find the right church. There's something wrong with every single denomination and every single church in town. It just it's either, oh well, they don't dress right, or I mean I didn't like the preaching, the preaching was too long, or the preaching was too short, or they didn't keep my kids right, or or you know, people weren't nice and polite, or I don't know, that they had a big yellow slide in the lobby. Uh, you know, they could be it could be anything. It's like they wanna they want to find flaws in, in every single thing you can possibly imagine. Accusation over. Encouragement. Nobody's looking for that type of person. Nobody wants to be that type of person. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can take upon that characteristic of someone with a religious spirit. How about this next one? Doctrine over discipleship. Doctrine over discipleship. These particular guys were so caught up in their minds about strict adherence to the law, particularly the Sabbath law, the fourth of the Ten Commandments. I mean, they were so caught up in this. And people with a religious spirit, this is a pattern, people with a religious spirit are caught up in laws and doctrines and intellectual arguments over and above a discipleship that shapes the heart. A followership that says, I'm here to follow Jesus. I'm here to be different. I'm here to change. Now, I will say that correct doctrine, truth correctly applied, obviously is going to shape the heart. But this is, this is a critical spiritual flaw that they had. Listen, if your doctrine does not lead to discipleship, it's bad Doctrine. Or you don't really understand that doctrine with your heart. You only understand it in your mind. You see, truth is meant to transform. That's what truth is for. Truth is meant to shape the heart. Not just to build up the mind so that you or, or give you the correct behaviors on the outside. It's meant to change you on the inside. But these these religious guys, these guys with the religious spirit, these Pharisees, these scribes, man, they questioned Jesus about fasting. They questioned him about hand washing. They questioned him about paying taxes. They criticized him for eating with Gentiles. They tried to trick him with some of their doctrinal questions. I believe it was the Sadducees that came up to him and said, hey, here's an example. There was, a, there, was a, there was a guy who had a wife, and his wife died, and, and then he married his brother's wife, and then that brother died, and he married the next... Or something, I can't even remember the story. Y'all probably remember better than I do. But anyway, the guy ended up having five wives because they all, uh, they all died in this life. And they said, well, at the resurrection... You know, whose husband is he gonna be? You're know, trying, to, trying to trick Jesus with these sneaky little, you know, doctrinal questions, always trying to trick him. But this Sabbath was, was a big one, man. Seven or eight times in Scripture, we see Jesus healing in front of these guys on the Sabbath. And I think he did it on purpose. I think he did it on purpose just to expose the religious spirit that, lit, that was inside of him. And when you think about it, so, so Jesus, by the way, so Jesus asked him this question. He says, and you, I, I'm going to, I'm going to loose, I'm going to loosely it, it translate here. Let's just, let's just pretend with me for a moment. Jesus is saying, okay, you're all caught up in the law. I know what you're thinking. You're just thinking about the law. You're thinking about the fourth commandment. You're thinking about the Sabbath. I know what you're thinking. Well, let me ask you: Is it lawful to do good and to save life on the Sabbath? Or is it lawful to harm and to destroy life on the Sabbath? Well, that was a pretty penetrating question because Jesus was giving life. Jesus, Jesus was, was, was doing good on the Sabbath. They, on the other hand, in their heart, were plotting vengeful murder on the Sabbath against Jesus. And Jesus is saying, which, which one's worse? And Now think about that for a moment. How, how, hard, what, how much work did it really take Almighty God in the flesh to heal a guy with a withered hand? How much effort did that, did that take, the God of the universe? Not much. How much effort do you think it took these guys to harbor all this bitterness and all this hate and all of this plotting and all of this jealousy inside of them on the Sabbath? Which one took more energy? By that definition, they were really the ones that were doing all the work on the Sabbath because their doctrine was more important than their discipleship. Accusation was more important than encouragement. And then punishment was more important than grace. This this, this is a characteristic of someone with a religious spirit. Punishment is a big deal to them. Now listen, let me me, me put this out there. We're not talking about parenting principles. We're not talking about people who break the law. We're not not talking about those types of things. We know that if a kid misbehaves, you punish him. We know if someone breaks the law, they go to jail. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about a spiritual principle here. Um, But people with a religious spirit always, they, they like punishment. Punishment really appeals to them more than just grace does. People with a religious spirit are angry and vengeful. It's it's just how they operate. Listen, don't be a mad Christian. Don't be a mad Christian. I mean, Christianity is something to be, Christianity is something to have joy about. You know, you can love Jesus and not be mad about it. You know, you can can believe what the Bible says and not be so angry about it and outraged all the time that everybody doesn't believe like you. You 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 can be a a conservative, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, cross-bearing Christian, and you can be happy about it at the same time. I I never understood why we gotta why why we have to be why do we have to be so mad all the time? About the things we believe. Now, look, listen. I'm talking to my. I'm talking to myself here. It's hard not. It's hard not to get fired up when you believe something so strongly. It. Okay, here's confession time. All right, y'all are going to be my priests this morning. Um, it, it happened to me this morning. My wife brought something up to me while I was while I was getting ready. Not about her, but something in general. And I just snapped back. And I was like, Well. I was like, it shouldn't be that way. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and I was like, oh my word. That is having such a, having such an angry religious spirit about me. And it wasn't about y'all. It wasn't about the church. It wasn't about anybody in church. It wasn't about my wife, It wasn't about family. I'm not going to tell you what it's about. But when she said that, I was, I, when she brought that up to me, I just, a sense of rightness and justice. I was just like, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, golly, man. And i got to go preach this stuff. And here I am. But then I also think, you know, listen, I, I do doctrine for a living. It's, it's, it's what I do every single week. Every single week I search the scriptures and I come for something that I hope can teach and train and encourage. I do that every single week. Every single week I not, might not always be so good about my discipleship. Yeah, I showed up to my, my D group last week, and I was like, barely got my reading done, boys. Didn't memorize, didn't memorize my Bible verse. I got my sermon done, though. Well, how, how much of a religious spirit is that? Made sure that I got my sermon done. Made, made sure I got that complete. But, man, I, I wrestled to get my discipleship done. Look, am I the only one here? Uh, am, am, I, am I the only one that, that, that struggles with this religious spirit stuff? I mean, how easy is it us to do these things? To accuse rather than encourage, to focus on doctrine and rules rather than discipleship, to focus on punishment rather than grace. Listen, we need to be people of, of passion. That's fine. But we also need to have hearts of compassion. We need to be right, but we also need to be right on the inside with our attitude. You see, anger, religious anger I'm talking about, people that, are always, people, that, people that are always mad about Christian stuff, all right? They can't talk about doctrine without getting mad. They can't talk about the commands or morals of Scripture without getting mad. Okay, that is often a sign, a clear sign of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. I'm not talking about anger in general. I'm talking about just being 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 mad about being a Christian, and we do, we do it all the time because we think we have to. And I also notice that people who choose, and myself included, who choose punishment over grace, that um, oftentimes we we try to camouflage that by talking about accountability. Well, that person needs to be accountable. Well, they need to be held accountable for what they're doing. They need to be be held accountable. Wanting people to suffer punishment for their sin is not godly. It's not. You, you know who wants that? You know, you know who wants people to be punished for their sin? That's what Satan wants. Satan wants you to suffer punishment for your sin, and he wants you to suffer that punishment for all eternity. You know what God wants you to do as he looks down upon you with compassion on your state of sin? God wants to shower his grace upon you. God, listen, God wants you to miss punishment. Hey, God wants to rescue you from punishment. And he wants it so bad that he punished his son on a cross. He took his punishment for you. God doesn't want to punish you because of your sin. He wants to give you grace. When you come to Jesus and fess up and confess your sin and turn to him and receive him as Savior and turn your back on your sin, God says, it's forgiven, you're not going to be punished for it. There's there's no accountability for that. When you get to heaven, you're going to receive rewards for receiving Christ. You're going to receive the reward of uh, of Christ and being in his presence in heaven forever. You're not going to be punished for your sin. Jesus was punished for your sin. All that anger, all that wrath, all that punishment that you deserve was poured out upon Christ. So you know what God's doing right now? God is poised, ready to shower his grace upon you. That's what he wants. God wants to pour his grace on you, not his punishment. He doesn't treat us as our our sins deserve. You know, we we sometimes think that, well, I I can't come to church, I can't confess my sin, I can't be around Christian people, I can't come to Jesus, I'm just too bad of a person. That means you're perfectly suited to receive grace. You you, you know what what grace is? Grace is... Is all of those blessings that you don't deserve. That God has, he, he has this forward lean. He just, He, He wants to pour it out upon you. It, your repentance would be the only thing that's holding it back. You clinging to, the, to your sin is the only thing that's holding it back. God, God wants you to let go of all of that so that He can just shower His blessings upon you. So how do you deal with a religious spirit? Real quickly, how to deal with a religious spirit. Let me just briefly mention these. I I hope if you're a Christian today, I hope that this will be helpful to you. Number one, we need to develop a heart of compassion towards others. Those people that we know are wrong, that are sinful, that are doing wrong, those flaws that we see in people, when we see flaws in people, it needs to stir our compassion for them. Because if they're embracing sin, if they're clinging to sin, even if they're doing, doing it willfully, they're just hurting themselves. I know, I mean, obviously we want them to let go of that sin, but we, we need to have compassion upon sinners. That's what Jesus did. I mean, look at the woman at the well. The, the woman caught it. All, all these different people, Jesus had, had compassion towards him. Number two, we must focus on character as a primary doctrine. We must focus on following Jesus and discipleship as a first and foremost doctrine that we've got to learn. Now, this gets, this gets hard as you, you, know, you go to seminary and you read books and you walk with the Lord a long time. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for years and years and you've, you've read a lot of doctrine, and that's great. That's important. Listen, I, I, I'm the, I, I, I do doctrine for a living. Like I said, I, I, I want to get it right. I, I, I beg God to help me give the, get it right. It is important but not near as important as our discipleship. And and, in loving Jesus, we have to focus on that as the correct doctrine. Number three, we've got to display actions of grace rather than an angry, punitive spirit because that's the way that God relates to us. The Bible says that he does not deal with us according to what our sins deserve. Isn't that good news? That God does not relate to you according to what your sins deserve. I mean, have you thought about what you deserve? Have you, I want you, I mean, have you thought about all the bad things that you've done, all the bad thoughts that you have, all the mistakes that you've made, and what you really deserve for all those things? The Bible says God does not relate to you or treat you according to how your sins deserve. God is looking upon you with compassion. Even as you cling to your sin, He wants to save you from His wrath. His goal is for your heart to change, not for your head to be expanded. Just because you know a lot, and just because you're religious and you're a part of things and you come to things a lot, that's not what's most important to God. God wants your heart to change. He wants to pour His grace upon you and not as punishment. Our goal at Stephen Street is not for you to be religious. It is not for you to be religious. We don't have a bunch of doctrines and a bunch of patterns of behavior. We don't have, we don't have a bunch of rules that we want to say, here they are, you follow them, and then we'll put our stamp of approval on you. You're good. We, at Stephen Street, we know, we believe that the Bible teaches that if you have a relationship with Jesus, those things have a way of taking care of themselves. The, you, you, there, there's more of a tendency for you to follow the commands of Scripture if your heart changes, than if we were to, were to browbeat you, and say, "Here's what God tells you to do. You need to do it. And here's why you need to know. Why heart needs to change. We need to enter a relationship with Jesus. That's what Christianity is about. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. And listen, your religion is fine, as lo- listen as long as it as long as it conforms to the patterns of what we see in Scripture, your religion is fine. You may say, you know what? I get up and I go to church every Sunday morning. That's just what I do. I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and I read the Bible and that's just what I do. You may say, I go up on a mountain. I have a special spot. And once a month, I go up on that mountain, and I fast, and I pray. That's just what I, Listen, your religious patterns of prayer and Bible study and, and, and attendance to church, all of those are great. But don't let them become heartless. Don't let them become empty routines. Don't have a religious spirit. Make sure that your relationship with Jesus is as it needs to be. And maybe today you've been involved in religion a lot, but you've never had a relationship with Jesus. You've never called on Jesus' name and been saved. It's so simple. It's so simple. If your life is going in the wrong direction, you repent. You say, God... I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to change my position. And God, I'm just going to begin to walk with you. I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to position myself, myself to be showered with your grace and your mercy and your salvation. The Bible says if you'll do that, if you will call on the name of the Lord, that you'll be saved. He just called upon his name. You recognize and acknowledge that religion is not going to save you, that nothing you can do can save you. And you call on Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. You acknowledge and say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Please save me. And maybe today that needs to happen in your heart right now. You know, God can wipe away all that guilt. God can wipe away all that punishment, all that shame. Matter of fact, we sang about it in one one of the songs that we sang. All the shame. He can move it all away. He can roll it all off of you. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. I want you to call on Jesus. I want you to call on Jesus right now. I want you to ask him for encouragement. I want you to ask him to help you to be a disciple. I want you to ask him for grace. It's never happened in your life. You've never called on Jesus. You've been religious. You've gone through all the patterns. Maybe you've said the prayers. You've gone underneath the water. You've got your certificate of membership. You've done all of that. You've been in life group. You show up at worst. You've got all the patterns. You've got all the patterns. But it had not sunk down into the heart yet. And you need to call on Jesus. Call on him right now. Just call on him. Just ask him. Say, Jesus, save me. Now for those of you who are Christians in the room, which is most of you, I want you to ask the Lord, God, do I focus more on accusation than I do encouragement? Do I look for the flaws in others? Do I have a critical spirit? I want you to I want you to ask yourself and ask the Lord to show you God, Am I focusing more on doctrines and behaviors than I am discipleship in the heart? Pray about that. And ask the Lord, God, am I focusing more on punishment than grace? And I want you to ask God to pour out His grace and spiritual encouragement upon you right now. See, when God pours his grace upon you, you have something to share with others. You can become a conduit of that grace. You can become a means of grace. You pray about these things. If you need to come to the altar and pray, if you'd say, I have a religious spirit today and I just need to pray, come to the altar, you can. If you need to call on Jesus, you spend a few moments in prayer, then we'll sing.